Bezalel is the first person in the Bible that is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When I first saw that, that just struck me, that being an artist is a type of ministry. It's a type of ministry. And we think of ministers having the Holy Spirit and teachers having the Holy Spirit. And whereas God says, no, an artist can best express the beauty of truth. Well, welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, our special guest is Dr. Joe Ann Davidson, professor of systematic theology at Andrews University. Today, our topic is taken from her book entitled Towards a Theology of Beauty, where we explore the aesthetic nature of God and how he uses beauty, creativity, and artistry to express his character and values. The recommended reading for today include Dr. Joanne Davidson's book, Toward a Theology of Beauty. If you'd like to listen to some of our other podcasts related to faith and theology, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts at AdventNext, or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at the handle at AdventNext. My co-host today is Brittany Husset, a graduate of Youth and Young Adult Ministry, and you can find her at the handle Brit.Husset. As always, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. You wrote an amazing book called Toward a Theology of Beauty, and uh, you really kind of dive into the aesthetic nature of God and some of the more creative aspects of who he is, him expressing himself as a creator, uh, not necessarily through a systematic theology. So tell us, how did you get into this topic, and why was this a, a, a place of interest for you? Well, that that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. It's kind of an interesting route that I took. Um, when my husband was a seminary student here years ago, I was working on my master's in music, and we were both studying and enjoying it. And one of the classes I was required to take was a class in aesthetics. And being in a music uh, music major, that uh, any any music, I mean any uh, artistic major, had to take this class. Mm. So I remember we studied all the ancient Greek philosophers and the modern Greek and the modern philosophers about this. And so I asked the teacher. I said, "This is so interesting." I said, "Are we going to study what the Bible teaches about this?" He said, "No, we're not because we I haven't studied theology." And I thought, well, I guess that was what we did. So I just put it out of my mind, but I learned a lot. Mm. Then when Dick came back here and was studying for his doctorate, I was typing all his papers. And I was saying, man, I didn't know this was in the Bible. This is really interesting because my Bible classes, I'm not going to tell you where I studied Bible in another c- campus, were very boring to me, just really boring. And I, I thought, well, you know, I, I didn't want to get rid of the Bible, but I just thought it's not that interesting. And then, but as I was typing his papers, I think, man, I'd say, is this really in the Bible? Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. And so he said, you ought to read this. And so he'd give me books and, and I just got really interested in this. So after our kids were born and he was asked to teach here, he um, came home one day and he said, you know, you ought to take a class in the seminary. You're always reading my books and asking me questions. And I said, well, I can't do that. And he said, yeah, you, you would love it. And so I did. I started taking classes and I really did love it. Mm-hmm. So I applied for doctoral studies here and then you go so far and you have to turn in a proposal for your dissertation. Mm. And I, then uh, this came back to my mind. This will give me a chance to study. Because I still love music. I mean, it was the, this will give me a chance. So I turned in a proposal to do a biblical theology on beauty or t- t- toward a theology of beauty. Because it's, t- you say toward because you know you haven't gotten to the end. There's always more to learn. Yeah. And so I turned that into the committee and they said, well, who's going to be your mentor? And I said, well, I, I'll 
someone in the theology department. Well, the theology department told me, we don't have anybody that studied aesthetics, so we can't help you. You either have to change hmm. your topic, topic or go someplace else. And I wow. said, well, this is what I want to study. Yeah. So I moved to a seminary in Chicago, and they had someone there who could mentor me. And I told them, I said, this is a dream come true for me to be able to study this as a musician. And it was so precious. The, the professor there said, it's an important topic. Hmm. I'm glad you're doing it. It's something I've always wanted to do. Wow. So I started writing, and... This is when it gets funny, but people would say, well, what are you writing about? And I'd say, well, I'm studying aesthetics in the Bible. And they'd say, well, why don't you study something important? Hmm. You know, over and over. So I got to hating people to ask me oh, wow. what I was studying. But I, it fed my soul. It just fed my soul to see that God is bigger than, he, he's the God of truth and the God of ethics. And, but he's, he's, he's much bigger than that. It put such a different face on him for me. Wow, wow. That's a fantastic entry story in, into how you got introduced to this topic. And I think, especially as women, you know, and maybe it's women, or, or like I said earlier, I think people with an aesthetic taste, like uh, interior designers or architects, really do appreciate this take on understanding God as a, a creative person because they find themselves in him, or, or they don't feel like their gifts are going to waste. And we're created in God's image, so why have we been so hesitant to include this part of God's image in our thinking about him? This is also something that's obviously like we, we talked about. I did my project on this uh, for my master's creativity and spirituality because wonderful creativity has always been something that's been an integral part of my life since I can remember various aspects of it. Um, and when I was going through a process of deciding what I wanted to do, I'd thought about creative things. Part of my undergrad degree is in a creative field. And um, I said, well, you know, um, being a very having a bent towards rule following, being very concerned about that, I said, well, I kind of feel like maybe if I go into the arts, and forgive me anyone who's listening who hears this because I've changed my view, um, I was <laughs> worried that I would be um, feeding into more of uh, maybe materialism or something like that. Sure, sure, um, that's very common. So, very common. Yeah, so I um, obviously since, since then um, I've expanded my view a bit, um, and your book was just super helpful in that respect. But I was just wondering, you mentioned that the three pillars of philosophy surround truth, goodness, and beauty, but that theologians never really address theology from the standpoint of beauty. So um, just wondering why you think that is. Are aesthetics really antagonistic to the gospel and the commission or um, and commission of humility? That, that's a good question. That's a good question. And studying the aesthetics, the ancient Greeks who were not atheists, but they wrote a, a thought a, through a lot of things, rhetoric, grammar, aesthetics. When we picked up their way of thinking, which was very valuable, we kept along the same track and we didn't include beauty, though they did. And we learned a lot. But why, why haven't we? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think it's a complex situation. A lot of people uh, worried that art leads us into sinful activities because it's used wrong. Like, for instance, pornography is an art form, but it's a wrong use of art. And so people say, well, see, this is what happens if you get into art. And other people say, well, look at these artists. Their lives aren't exemplary. Mm -hmm. And indeed, I remember studying music history and finding out these major composers that in, the, uh, in, the, in Europe who were writing these symphonies that I had to analyze and just loved the melodies and the forms and the structures lived very immoral lives. That was a shock to me. But, you know, that, that's what some people hold up. And other people say, well, art isn't important. 
you know, Jesus is coming. We've got it. We've got to focus on Jesus coming. Mm -hmm. And other people are blind and deaf to the blind and deaf to beauty. You know, they can walk down the street and not hear the birds sing or not notice the beautiful fall colors, and they just think it's not important. Because, and, and other people say, this is the one I hear a lot. We're not allowed the luxury of beauty when so many people are hungry and, and, and have no place to live and not eat supper. That beauty is just a luxury that Christians shouldn't be worried about at this time. Mm. And then another one that a lot of Christians use is that the Bible prohibits art. It prohibits art. And I say, really, where? And they say, well, the second commandment. You're not supposed to make any likeness of anything and anything. And I said, but have you read the whole commandment? Mm. It's about worship. It's about making these things and worshiping them is not that the commandment doesn't stop with making artistic things. And in fact, if you, after God gives the commandments, he gives a whole long list of things to do to build a beautiful sanctuary mm -hmm. and using all kinds of art forms and art skills. So it can't be that, but we, we just been careless in studying it. And it, people come at the problem many different ways. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think that they're, especially in Adventism, I'm not sure how the Christian world thinks about this, but that um, Satan, the narrative that Satan was a, a great musician uh, or just this narrative that he was a part of, in charge of the arts, I think we tend to think in a theological sense that anything that's uh, surrounding sensuality and beauty uh, is also associated more satanically. That's right, and that's another thing too. But unfortunately, that's been a warped way of, a, a, a warping away from what God reveals about himself in scripture. Mm. And he, he shows himself very interested in beauty and, and things of beauty. And Satan was the highest creation that God made, and he, he twisted everything that he touched after he fell. Mm. And that's the problem. Mm. Originally, it, God, God says in Ezekiel, you were perfect in form and beauty. He, God would just put everything into a, this magnificent creature, uh, a be, this magnificent being, but he... He wasn't satisfied. He wanted to be God himself. And so but so everything after that got warped. Mm -hmm. Wow. It got warped. And, and you mentioned, too, about people. Uh, let me just add to this. People t t think art isn't important, but they use it all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have a, a room and you put a picture on the wall or if you turn on the radio and listen to music or you go to the store and buy some pretty fruit, it, people use it all the time Then so they don't realize how much a part of life it really is. And how much we're even, I would say, sometimes even manipulated by art, you know, when it comes to marketing or like, oh yes. what brand am I going to buy? Oh, the one that has the better aesthetic to it, right? It, uh, right. And see, people that uh, people who use art aesthetics commercially, they know the power of beauty. Mm. They know the power of beauty. And so uh, it's unfortunate that we have turned away from that, knowing the great power and influence it can have. And, and I think that it also shows the world that we take great pride in the message that we have to present. We, Amen. We package it in a way that is beautiful, that it shows care and mm -hmm. craft and skill. I think people say, wow, there's something here because they took so much time to make it beautiful for us. Yes. And in the book, Desire of Ages, I, I love what, what the author there says that the words Jesus were used, chose were alluring. That, that, you know, he, he didn't just splat out information. You learn these dates and you learn all this. He, he tried to make it appealing and aesthetically beautiful, alluring. Yeah. I like that word. And, and kind of going to some of my, my questions here, and you might have already kind of uh, answered this, but I said, how is Greek and Western philosophy regarding beauty different from the biblical view? Um, are some of the antagonisms towards placing value on beauty due to the fact that we're measuring it with wrong metrics. That could be. Uh, the, as, I, as we mentioned, the ancient philosophers 
were very interested in beauty, and they talked about its form and its imitation of uh, of reality and all the ways they did it. But they they didn't ever tie it to God, mm. even though they weren't atheists. They had many gods, but it was all it was all. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a mental understanding. But the uniqueness about the Bible is that. Everything God touched was beautiful, starting in the Garden of Eden, starting with the creatures he made. Everything was beautiful. Remember the first day of every day of creation, this is good, this is good. And that word tov, if you had some Hebrew, it's, tra- it's it rightly translated good, but it has a spectrum of meaning. And because later on when it talks about Rebecca at the well, it says she was beautiful. And it's the same word tov. Hmm. So that word tov includes goodness and beauty and everything. And every day God made something, he said, this is Oh, this is good. This is beautiful. And it's like the great artist. And he didn't have to take seven days to do that. Yeah. But he, he was an art. He loved making beautiful things and take even the process of making things was fun for him. And well, fun, maybe not a good word, but enjoyable to him. Yeah. And he made everything just perfect. Remember, even Paul says in Romans one that nature testifies of God. And so that people who don't believe in God have no excuse because nature itself is wonderful and testifies of God. Mm-hmm. And so. The Greeks were not atheists, but their study of aesthetics was secular. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when God reveals himself in Scripture, he takes great pains to describe his interest in beautiful, things beautiful, whether it's things he created or things he commanded to be built. He, 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 he had a great, he, he's the God of truth. Yes, he wants us to understand what truth is in him. And he wants us to understand how to live with truth and goodness. And he gives us a system of ethics so that our lives will be beautiful. And then he gives us that, and beauty, surrounding yourself with beauty will will open your senses to something much bigger than you can imagine. Hmm. Opening our senses. See, God speaks to the whole person. Many philosophers and even Greek philosophers, the body was dirty and suspect you want to cultivate the spirit. But God says, no, the whole person can receive truth. Your senses, your mind, your heart, I'm that big and I can fill you to the brim with goodness and truth and beauty. Mm. Wow. What's so interesting too is that, you know, that we tend to think of beauty as only external, you know, or the things that we see and sense uh, with kind of a physical touch or with see with our eyes. But like even the the way that God created was just to point to the greater beauty of his character, yeah. you know, and uh, and I think that is what people genuinely at the end of the day fall in love with, you know, that his beauty is in hollow. It has substance behind mm-hmm. it. Uh, you make the following statement saying God expresses himself more as the consummate artist than a systematic theologian. Um, can you elaborate on that? Oh, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Um, the Bible is not a systematic theology. Now, I don't know if you've read one, but they're usually very thick books, and they cover certain topics, and they're very important, and I'm not making light of it. But they usually have, in the ones I've read, probably a couple of dozen of them, um, one paragraph or maybe a page or two on beauty. Mm. Everything else is truth and goodness. And those we mustn't minimize those, but it would make a completer record to, to include God's aspect of aesthetic. But um, God, when he reveals himself in the Bible, takes great pains in saying, talking about his aesthetic nature, great pains. And so the Bible is not a systematic theology, but it is a system of truth. And if you're going to allow all the Bible to have to fit together to tell you what God is like, because the Bible is our primary source about God. It's our primary source. A lot of people writing about the Bible, but God is the author, 
He claims that in scripture. He's the author. And this is how, how he wants us to think about him. And we, we focus on truth and goodness, but we don't focus on the beauty. But God displays his interest in beauty a lot more than he talks about ethics and truth a lot more. And it starts with creation, like we talked about a little bit already. Forming everything, it, every day was wonderful. Oh, this is good. You can just see him rubbing his hand. Oh, that just turned out so good. It's so good. And then the sixth day, he creates humans from the soil he had just made. And he creates Adam. He must have been a handsome guy. <laughs> he must have been a handsome, perfect muscles. <laughs> and, and then he puts him to sleep and he takes out a... a the, often they translate rib, but it's really a, more a rib plus part of his side. Mm. And makes this beautiful woman. And you know she was gorgeous. You know that because the first thing Adam says when he wakes up is, wow! Now, they don't put that in that modern English translations, but my Hebrew teacher said they, this indeed or at last is not near as strong as the word Adam really used when he sees this beautiful woman. Hmm. And so God created lo love and romance and handsomeness and beauty. And then he also that same day with from the same soil, Genesis 2.19, from the same ground he made all the animals and the birds. Mm -hmm. So God crafted these beautiful feathers and peacocks and cardinals and goldfinches. And, 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 he, and he, said, he said it was very, very beautiful. And that's the first thing we know about God, mm -hmm. is making everything beautiful. And that's what the first two chapters of Genesis spend the most time telling us about, how perfect this was and how beautiful everything was. And so that's... And then later... Isaiah says, God is a potter. Well, that comes right out of Genesis 2 when God created us out of the soil. Mm -hmm. And Romans, Paul and the Romans said, Who, how can the person, per, the thing created say to the thing that created it, I don't want to be like this. And, mm -hmm. and he brings in this instance that God is, works his hands to make something beautiful. So that's the first three chapter, first two chapters of Genesis. And so then we have uh, the next big major picture of God is when he, in the Exodus. Brings him out of Egypt. Gives him the Ten Commandments, which are absolutely foundational. But then he spends the rest 20 chapters talking about the sanctuary. Mm. And he gives us details after details, which are boring to us. But if God's the author of Scripture, that means he's lingering on all these beautiful details. Brass, gold, silver, precious jewels, tapestry, all of this stuff. And then he gives Moses the blueprints for a portable tent sanctuary. Portable. Here they are in the wilderness. You, go, you would think God said, well, just put up a roof so that the sun won't be so hot. But this be everything's beautiful. He gives them instructions, and then the next t 10 chapters repeats it all in reverse order, like God says, oh, I just love this stuff. And he, he repeats it again. There's more chapters about this sanctuary in, in the Pentateuch, the first five books above, than any other topic. Right. And if God's the author, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. That's really impressive. And it goes on and on just over and over again. God says, I want you to know this about me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and he... Uh, elaborates. Jesus comes, he talks in parables. That's a literary form. Mm -hmm. And I love that picture in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says and takes a lily and he says, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Oh, he just loves it. Mm -hmm. And Paul talks yeah. about we can learn about God from the things he's created. And then there's the book of Revelation. That's a history book of salvation history from creation to climax. And again, it's not a boring history book. Over and over again, John says, and I saw and I heard and I saw and I heard and God paints this glorious big screen panorama mm. of what he's been doing and what he's going to do and how he's going to triumph. 
and you read it through in one sitting, you get breathless, like John's the time, and I saw this, and I heard this, and he's just trying to get it all down, and it's a glorious picture of salvation, just mm-hmm. glorious, climaxing with the return of Eden and all the beauty that God had mm-hmm. and it's God, it's God's, And he's the author. He said, this is what I really want you to know about me. Yes, I, I, I'm true, I teach truth, and I want you to follow my life. Uh, that you'll, you'll be the happiest if you follow my system of, of right and wrong, but, oh, the beauty. Is, is part of who I am and wh- how I want to reach you. Right. And, and philosophers today say that a true beauty surrounding someone in, increases their sensitivity and their senses become more alive. And so God, again, is appealing to our whole person, our mind and our heart and even our senses. Wow. Like the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Wow. Being with God is a sensual thing in addition to being a mental thing. Wow. There's like three things that I'm thinking of as you were just talking. When when God is giving the direction of his temple, I'm thinking, you know, if he were to leave that up to us, we'd probably bring the cheapest material. You know, like we think very utilitarian sometimes mm-hmm. and we think that that's more holy. Uh, so we like, you know, what's the cheapest way we can build this tabernacle and that's the best way to glorify the Lord? And the Lord is like, no, like you can be lavish with me and and that my, my glory is, is radiated from that. Um, so I was thinking about that when you were talking and also when you said that that he appeals to all of our senses. You know, when you look at babies and, and how much that they require stimulation and color and interaction and that Good actually point. helps their de- development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even a part of the creation of beauty is even his way of kind of uh, ennobling us and dignifying us and, and expanding our minds uh, to think higher. So that that's those are beautiful meditations that you brought out. Oh, and there's and there's so much more. I just I didn't even get to Solomon's temple. You know, God gave all these instructions for this portable sanctuary they were going to take through the wilderness for forty years and lasted longer than that. Even the curtains were perfect curtains between the holy and the most holy. The tapestry with woven in seraphim, the seraphim. Oh, and then Solomon builds a temple later. Remember, David wants to build a temple. And God said, no, your hands are stained with blood. Your son, a son of man of peace, will build my temple. And again, God gives the blueprints. He's an architect. He, I want you to make it this way. And again, he gives these, all these details. They're boring to us, but to God, they were special. Oh, I want to detail this. This is going to be so beautiful. Mm-hmm. In the book, Patriarchs and Pro- no, Prophets and Kings, it says that Solomon's temple was the most beautiful structure humans have ever built. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that God intended it to last forever. And it would have been the center of world worship we could have. Mm-hmm. traveled there but because God's people weren't faithful mm. it was it was destroyed but God wanted it even he knew that ahead of time but he wanted it to be beautiful mm-hmm. our senses are heightened and we can experience more of God's goodness when we're surrounded with beauty how much he wants to give us good things you know, and that's right. And he desires, like I said, he, the temple was supposed to be here forever, but because we didn't have a right relationship with that beauty, we idolized it, and we didn't see it as maybe a, a deeper reflection of who he is as a person and and the character. We just became fascinated with the exterior. That's right. And he's like, I got to take it away, guys. Sorry. That's a, yeah. And and that's such an important thing because aesthetics is um, having an aesthetic experience. They call it is a wonderful thing, and so people set that in place of a deeper relationship with God. And whereas aesthetics, I think, is to help us express our adoration to God in a more full way. It's not something to be worshipped. It's not religion. Mm. It's not religion. It's just part of human response. Mm. I think you talked about this, but maybe you can elaborate on some of the other things you reveal in your, your book. 
what ways does God reveal himself as a consummate artist throughout the Bible? And you look at the architecture, the literary structure, the poetry. You touch on a variety of things within your book. Oh, yeah, that's, that's neat. Um, aesthetics covers all, everything that has to do with the senses. And we talked about creation. We talked about God being an architect. But even the priestly vestments in Exodus 40, it says God told him how to make the priestly robes. He said, for glory and for beauty. Even the priestly robes. Isn't that neat? Not, mm-hmm. Nothing surrounding worship would be plain and ordinary. And, and then I think one of the most important passages in the Bible on this subject is Exodus 35, where God calls Bezalel to build the sanctuary. It, it, to me, that is a really impressive thing. First of all, in Exodus 31, God gives the instruction to Moses. And then in Exodus 35, Moses repeats it to the people. See, God didn't just give the blueprints and say, now do the best you can. He said, no, I've commissioned an artist to do this, an artisan, he called him. Mm. And he, he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him how to do this, and I'm just going to, uh, it's, it's not a, ma- I, I want everything to be just perfect, and so not, don't just throw something together. He commissions this artist, so we know that aesthetic value is part of God's ideal, because he gives so, such great, uh, did, uh, makes such a big point out of this. And then the, the fascinating thing to me is that, Bezalel is the first person in the Bible that is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. Oh, when I first saw that, that just struck me, that being an artist is a type of ministry. It's a type of ministry. Mm. And we think of ministers having the Holy Spirit and teachers having the Holy Spirit and doctors and nurses in hospital. But this is an artist that is the first person mentioned in the Bible. Now, the Holy Spirit's been there. He was at Creation Week and the Holy Spirit... Uh, is, is been around, but this says that God says, I filled him with my spirit. Mm. And I, t- to me, that's really, really precious. I was talking to an artist once and he was telling me we were commiserating because he was, I was talking about how people were making fun of my dissertation topic. And he said, well, people are always telling me, why don't you do something important? You know, you're just an artist. Mm. And so, and I said, you know, you are the type of person that God would have filled with the Holy Spirit first. Mm, and it, wow. he brought tears to his eyes. He brought oh. tears to his eyes. Because um, we we tend to put art out here and then God's work here, whereas God says, no, an artist can best express the beauty of truth, the beauty of truth, wow. and make it have it the highest value. Mm. Instead of just throwing stuff out, by making it beautiful makes it more appealing and more representative of the great God. Wow. Wow. Oh, and you some yeah. more poetry. Please. I got oh, yeah. poetry. Yeah. Please, do you know that forty percent of the Old Testament is in poetry? Forty. Per- I didn't know forty percent. Wow. Interesting. You look at the prophets, for instance, when they write about their life experience. It's in prose, and then they say, "Thus says the Lord," or some equivalent, mm. and they right away move into poetry. God always talks in poetry. Interesting. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Now, newer versions of the Bible format it so you can see that. The older versions, they didn't do it so if you didn't know the original language you wouldn't see it but now like in the new king james the margins are are, are standard when it's prose and then when they move into poetry they it's uh, uneven margins draw it in and so god always talks in poetry mm. so they're quoting god no well, thus says the lord or thus says the lord god and boom right into poetry poetry is the most intense language we have wow and so god when he wants to reach us he Gets, increases the intensity, so he's, he's so anxious to reach our hearts and minds. Wow. Of course, we th- always think of poetry, we think of the Psalms, but, but look, at, look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel when they talk about, thus says the Lord, they quote God in poetry. Now, all the ancients wrote in poetry, and it used to be 
the critics of the Bible would say, well, see, this can't be old because they didn't know how to write poetry. They didn't even know how to write back then. <laughs> and so the archaeologists have shown us that the ancients even write them. You can read their poetry. You can read it. The ancient Near Eastern uh, materials, are, they quote their gods speaking in poetry too. So that, And I remember I took a class in World Lit a few years ago at a state university. And we read all these ancient people. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, the Israelites were not evolved. This can't be late material because all the ancients wrote in poetry. So that cleared that up real quick. So we were reading all these ancients. And then I'll never forget what this teacher said. He said, tomorrow we're going to read the ancient Hebrew literature. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're in a state university. And so he couldn't say, I don't know if he was a Christian. He said, but this comment was, and this will be like breathing pure oxygen compared to what we've been studying. Wow. That was a testimony that just struck me, that God doesn't deal with trite stuff. But when he speaks his truth, it's in the most intense, beautiful language possible because he wants to reach us. Wow. That sounds like a class I definitely want to take. Isn't that what it was so... Th- and I wasn't expecting it, yeah. you know, but I, but I remember reading all these ancient things that the archaeologists have found. And, oh, these ancient gods were horrible. They would eat each other's children and throw body parts around and wade in blood and command humans to serve them. And it was just... But it was beautiful poetry. Mm-hmm. Oh, my, beautiful poetry. But then the rest was pure oxygen. Wow. This, and so that made me happy that he appreciated that and that and was. He said, this subject matter is so lofty. Mm. It was a neat testimony, a neat wow. testimony. And why do you think that is? Like, what is it about poetry? When I think poetry, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking that it's not as direct as some like direct commands or narrative. And so there's room to kind of breathe into it some interpretation or kind of uh, uh look to be inspired by it. But what do you think that, why do you think God used poetry uh, per se to communicate predominantly? That That's such a good question. I'll just tell you from my own personal experience, I can't write poetry. I love prose. I mean, I can, I, and with a computer, you know, you can t- throw it around and play with it. But I, I it, when I took a literature class, I was supposed to write poetry and it was pitiful. It was just pitiful. So it, it take, it's an intense kind of writing that you have to be able to say things very concisely with as few words as possible, but it's just very pulsating with deep min- meaning. And I can't do it. The same thing with when I was in, in music and I had we were supposed to write a composition. I, I can't compose in this tight style. I appreciate it and I had to analyze it. So... It, it, there's a special gift, I think, that God gives in writing poetry. It's, yeah. I think any any time there's an, a true artist, I don't think it's human development. I think it's a gift of God, like with Bezalel, mm. the gift of the Spirit. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening in. Let us know what you thought about this week's podcast in the comment section. Once again, we'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Joanne Davidson, and a reminder of today's recommended reading list is her book, Toward a Theology of Beauty. Stay tuned for next week for our part two of this discussion. And thanks again to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at AdventNext. See you next week.